Well, I wonder if you've ever thought to yourself, is it really worth it? Is it really worth it? When, when life is going well, when, when things seem to be going well, or when you get the cancer diagnosis, is it really worth it? Is it really worth living the Christian life? Is it worth the effort? Is it worth all of the hard work? Because the reality is, it is hard, isn't it? The Christian life can feel like a bit of a slog. If you've been with us, we're coming towards the end now of our series in 1 Corinthians. And for the last 15 chapters, Paul has been showing the Corinthians that the Christ-centered life is hard work. I don't know if you picked that up as we've gone through chapters 1 to 4. He said that gospel ministry, the gospel life, is more like being a slave than a celebrity. And then in chapters 8 to 10, he said that following Christ means giving up our rights, our freedoms, the things that the world tells us we deserve and are asked to claim, giving those things up for the benefit of others. And then in chapters 12 to 14, uh, we've just seen, haven't we, that, that God says we should use any ability, any gift that he's given us, not for ourselves, not, not to raise ourselves up, to build ourselves up, but for others, uh, to build up the church. And so the Christian life is hard work. Uh, Paul calls it labor in verse 58 of our passage. And so the question we might find ourselves asking as we leave a sermon on a Sunday evening, having looked at one of these chapters, is why bother? Why bother giving my life to this? And Paul's answer in chapter 15 is that it's all to do with the resurrection. It's all to do with the resurrection. Last week we saw his big point was that Christ's resurrection means that Christians will rise. Christ's resurrection means that this life is not it. There is more to come. You don't only live once. You live twice. And our resurrection in the future should change how we think about life today. That's been the big thing. That is the big thing in chapter 15 that Paul wants us to grasp. It is that we should live our lives today in the light of the resurrection to come. And in our passage this evening, the second half of chapter 15, he continues to show the implications of Christ's and therefore our resurrection. And the first thing he says is that when we are raised, it'll be with better bodies. It'll be with better bodies. That's our first point this evening. Having laid the groundwork in verses 1 to 34, Paul comes to the Corinthians' main objection there in verse 35. But some will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? It's a mocking, sarcastic question from the Corinthians. Okay then, Paul, what is this resurrection going to look like? How's it all going to work? How can these bodies that we have now live forever. Explain that one, Paul. You see, the Corinthians, they thought the idea of a, a bodily resurrection was frankly ridiculous. They thought it was foolish. 
But in verse 36, Paul says he's not the one being the fool. Look at verse 36. How foolish! What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else. Paul says, come on, Corinthians, you've all been to school. Remember your biology lessons. Remember how seeds and plants work. Seeds look unimpressive. There isn't much to a seed, is there? That is until you plant one. And then it transforms into a magnificent tree. And so Paul says the same is true for us and our bodies. There in verse 42, just a few verses down, he says, so it'll be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. You're absolutely right, Corinthians, Paul says. It's ridiculous, it's stupid to think that, that these bodies, the bodies we have now, could live forever. Our bodies now, they're perishable. They will be sown in death. But, verse 42, the God who can turn an, a tiny acorn into a mighty oak tree, that same God will take your perishable body and he will transform it into something very, very different. The Creator God will raise your perishable body into a body that is imperishable. And so just like the seed and the plant, those two bodies, they are related. There is continuity. It'll still be you. But there is a dramatic change. The new body is nothing like the old. And so Paul says, come on, it's not that complicated. We see this sort of transformation all the time. Just look at seeds and plants. And then in verses 39 to 41, he carries on his biology lesson by pointing to the rest of creation. He says, look at people uh, and look at the birds and the fish and the stars and the planets and the sun and the moon. Look at all the things that God has made and see that they are different. They're different because God has made them different. And here's his point. God has put them in the right place according to their difference. The creator God knows the difference between a heavenly thing and an earthly thing. And not once has he got those things confused. Not once has he accidentally created a planet where he meant to put a tree. God has created fish for swimming and birds for flying and he has put them in their place. He is the God who knows what is needed. And so he knows that for his people to live forever, well, they're going to need a new body a better body. And so that is what he'll give them. He drives home the point in verses 42 to 44. He says we're going to need new bodies, better bodies, because the ones that we have now are perishable. Do you see that there in verse 42? They are perishable. And we all feel that, don't we? We go to huge lengths to try and delay the perishing of our bodies. We spend billions of pounds in this country on cosmetics. We exercise and diet and try to keep fit and young and healthy, all to delay that 
inevitable perishing of our bodies. We do those things, but, but we do know, don't we? We do know that it doesn't really matter how many superfoods we eat or how well-balanced our life is. Your body will perish. Our bodies now are perishable. They're also dishonorable, Paul says. Often our bodies are something that we are ashamed of. We tend to cover up our bodies. But more than that, we use our bodies for shameful, dishonorable things. Just think of the things that you have done with your physical body that you're ashamed of. Things that you've looked at with your eyes. Things that you've said with your tongue. Our bodies are dishonorable. And finally, Paul says they're weak. We get frustrated, don't we, when our bodies are unable to do the things that we want them to do. They just don't work how we would like them to. And we might try to pretend that we can be everywhere at once, pretend that we can just keep on going and keep doing things and that nothing is beyond us. We can pretend all we like, but, but we know that that isn't reality. We know that our bodies are limited, they are weak. And we know and experience that more and more as we get older. And so Paul says, look, your body now is just a seed. It's nothing impressive. It's perishable. It's dishonorable. It's weak. But that isn't the new body. That's not the spiritual body, verse 44. The new spiritual body will be unlike anything we can imagine now. There'll be nothing perishable about this body because it won't run out or decay because it'll be raised imperishable. There'll be nothing to be ashamed of about this body because it'll be raised in glory. And there'll be nothing frustrating about this body because it won't be raised in weakness but in power. God will give his people a better body, a body fit for heaven. And Paul says he can do that because Christ is a better Adam. Because Christ is a better Adam, we'll have a better body because of a better Adam. That last contrast there in verse 44 is between the natural and the spiritual. And this, Paul says, is the difference between the first man, Adam, and the new man, Christ. The second half of verse 44, just look there. says, if there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The first Adam is a man of the dust. Paul quotes from Genesis chapter 2 there. And there we read of how God formed Adam from the dust of the earth, that he breathed life into him and he became a living human being. But then in Genesis 3, not long after, we see that Adam's sin means that he is shut out of the Garden of Eden. He's prevented from eating from the tree of life and so he's destined to return to the dust. He's destined to die. And the same has been true 
of every single human being since. We are all in Adam. We're all sinful. And so we will all one day die. Despite Mark Zuckerberger's promise to eradicate all disease, there is one disease that we can't get rid of, and that is death. And that means the thing that that we as a humanity need more than anything else is a new Adam, a better Adam. And Paul here says that, that Jesus Christ is exactly that. He is the better Adam. Christ, the eternal Son of God, took on human flesh, took on a weak and perishable human body. He became a man. And then having taken on our weakness, having taken on our shame, Jesus was crushed. He was sown into the ground in death, buried for humanity's sin, buried for our failure. Jesus was buried. But then as we saw so clearly last week, he didn't stay buried, did he? 15 verse 3, back at the start of the chapter, Paul writes that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day. God raised Christ to new life and now he is no longer weak, no longer a man of the earth. But verse 47, he is the man of heaven. Christ is the heavenly man, the glorious, powerful, imperishable heavenly man. And here's the key for us. This there in verse 48. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. We are all born in Adam, Paul says. We are of the earth. We are weak and perishable. But, verse 48 again, Just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. When we trust in Christ, a transfer happens. We're transferred from being in Adam to being in Christ. And so Paul says that at the the resurrection, we will no longer bear the image of Adam, the earthly man. Instead, he will transform us, and we will now bear the image of, of the heavenly man, the image of the glorious risen Christ. Paul said the same thing back in verse 22, didn't he? Verse 22, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. It is in Christ and only in Christ that we can become imperishable. only in Christ, that we can beat death. And that's Paul's point in verse 50 to 56. Just have a look there with me. Verse 50, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. You see, Christ, the better Adam, has defeated death for us. 
And so now we can be raised in him imperishable. Verse 53, we can be clothed with immortality. And so death, death no longer has any hold over us because it has no hold over Christ. You see, without Christ, death shapes the way we live, doesn't it? Death rules us. Just think about it for a moment. In the end, it is death, isn't it? That means that people are obsessed with the here and now. We don't say it out loud in polite society, but we know that death is coming. And so we think, well, if death is on the horizon, then I need to get as much out of this life as I can before it's too late. I need to get the most stuff, the most experiences, the most success I can. Because, well, when death comes, that's it. My opportunities will have gone. And for some of us, for some people out in the world, it might not be stuff. Death is also the reason that people pursue a legacy, isn't it? It's the reason that people want to do something worthwhile in this life, a reason that we want to do things that will outlast us. Death, whether we name it or not, shapes the way that we live today. It rules us. But that isn't true for the Christian. Verse 54, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. In Jesus Christ, death, the thing that rules us, has been destroyed. It has been utterly defeated, crushed, swallowed up, Paul says. And so it no longer has any power over us. It no longer has any sting, verse 55. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. At the cross, Jesus paid the price for our sin. He died the death we deserve, uh, the death that all people have deserved since Adam. Jesus died our death, but then three days later, he rose to glorious new life. He defeated death. And this has been Paul's big point throughout the chapter, hasn't it? Because of that, because Christ rose we too will rise. Christ's resurrection becomes our resurrection. Christ's victory over death becomes our victory over death. And so for the Christian, for the person who trusts in Jesus, death has no sting. Of course, we will all one day die. Yes, these perishable Weak bodies will fail. But the sting of death has been removed. Because after death, we will be raised with Christ, with a new, glorious, imperishable body. And so Paul says, knowing that glorious truth, 
Being sure of our future like that should change the way that we live our lives now. And that's the last thing that I want us to see this evening. Paul says, you will have a better body. And that's because of a better Adam. And knowing that should cause us to work wholeheartedly for Christ now. Look at verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So think back to that question at the start. Why bother with the Christian life? Why bother laboring for the Lord when there are so many other things you could be doing with your time? Without the resurrection, the answer would be don't. Don't bother. It isn't worth it. In fact, verse 14 last week said, you are just wasting your time. But, Paul says, Christ was raised. And that means you don't only live once. You live twice. And more than that, the best is yet to come. And so all the things that you think you're missing out on now are nothing, absolutely nothing, compared to what you will have and will experience in the life to come. Which means it is okay to miss out on the promotion. It is okay not to have the fancy car or or to go to all the countries that you wished you could go to. Because this life is not it. You are not missing out. The best is yet to come. But I actually think it's more than that. It's more than just not missing out here, isn't it? Uh, Paul's point isn't just, uh, don't worry about life now because, you know, the next one is going to be great. No, his point is that knowing that the best life is still to come should cause us to work, to labor in this life for the things that really matter. You see, sometimes, I don't know if you've heard this, but sometimes... Christians are accused of being too heavenly-minded to be of any earthly good, too focused on some far-fetched idea of an afterlife that we forget the needs of people in the here and now. But that is to completely misunderstand what Paul is saying here. You see, in the Bible, living for just this life, just for the here and now, that's the vain life. That's the wasted life. That is the selfish life. But Paul says laboring for Christ, that's not living in vain. That's not wasting your time or or forgetting the needs of those around you. No. No, if you labor for the Lord, if you work for him, you are working towards the one thing that will truly last. You are giving your life to something that is eternal. And so how can that be in vain? How can the life given to the one who defeats death possibly be a waste? You see, proclaiming the gospel, telling people about Jesus, that's what Paul is talking about when he says the work of the Lord there in verse 58. Doing that is the way that we join with God in his work of defeating death. Verse 53 says that God will transform people 
people that you know from perishable to imperishable, from mortal to immortality. And he will do that. He has chosen to do that as they hear and respond to the gospel. And so it's no wonder, is it? It is no wonder that right back at the start of the letter, Paul said, this is what my life is all about. This is it. I have made myself a slave to this gospel. I have given up all my rights, all my freedoms to make this gospel known to as many people as possible. And now finally, as we come towards the end of his letter, he says none of that is in vain. None of that is wasted. Because it is through the gospel that people are moved from death to life forever. It is through the gospel that people are made immortal, are given eternal life with Christ. And so as we close, a question to ask yourself is this. What are you giving your life to? What are you working towards at the moment? That's something people ask, isn't it? What are you working on at the moment? What are you working towards? What are you laboring for at the moment? There are all sorts of ways we might answer that question, all sorts of things we might give our time and our energy and our money and our thought to, all sorts of things that we might do because we live as though this life is it. We forget 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But I hope that this chapter has changed your perspective. I hope it's helped you to see, as it, as it has helped me to see this week, that there really is nothing that matters more than this. Nothing that matters more than defeating death through making Christ known. In a thousand years' time, it really won't matter what grades you got. It won't matter what job you had. It won't matter what car you drove or what countries you visited. In a thousand years' time, what will matter will be sharing in Christ's victory over death with millions upon millions of other people. And so Paul says, don't you want to give your life to that? Don't you want to give your life to the task of making Christ known? To the task of moving people from death to life therefore my dear brothers and sisters stand firm let nothing move you always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain let's pray our loving heavenly father these are amazing and mind blowing truths we praise you this evening that in the Lord Jesus Christ, death is defeated. That we are immortal because of him. We will enjoy new bodies, new life forever with Christ. Father, we praise you for that this evening. And we ask that that would so fill our minds, so fill our hearts, that we would leave here this evening and walk into the week as people that live in the light of the resurrection. Would we give our lives to making Christ known so that others could move from death to life and join us in praising you for all eternity. 
For your glory we pray. Amen.